morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke 5, 17 to 26. The Pew Bible, which is blue, has it on page 836. So if you would like to turn there, that would be wonderful. Luke 5, 17 to 26. Amazing how loud the rustling is. I don't know if you can all hear that. Luke 5. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of him, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Will you pray with me? Lord, would you be glorified today? Would you speak to each one of us? Would we respond to you, I pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit? whatever it is you have for each of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So there were some crazy things going on that day in that house. What do you think it would have been like to have been one of the people in the crowd that day? Imagine yourself as someone from that town in Galilee. Luke doesn't say which town it is, it's, so it's probably a small one. Probably not very big, probably not much has ever happened in that town. But things today are different because a man that everyone is talking about is coming to town. You've heard what Jesus did in Nazareth, his hometown. He got up in the synagogue and he started reading from Isaiah. And this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But then Jesus sat down and said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This, this was a passage about the end times, about the Messiah, about the liberation of, of Israel. Could this be Jesus? Are we going to be set free? And this Jesus is coming to your town. So it wasn't just you 
people in your town that, that were thinking this. Because so up until now, in Luke, there have been crowds. Jesus has been doing healing. And he's backed up some of those claims. That's why people are excited. Everyone's talking. But it's, it's, it's gotten all the way down to Jerusalem and Judea. And the religious leaders, the teachers, the Pharisees, teachers of the law, they want to make sure Jesus is legitimate. Because it's their job, they feel, to make sure that Israel stays in line, that the Jewish people stay in line with God's truth. So they came from all over Galilee. These, these religious leaders. They also came from Jerusalem. It would have been a three or four day walk or, or ride on a donkey, which might have been even worse, actually. And, you know, I mean, we think a two day car ride is tough, right? This was a long journey. So this was a big deal. All the Jewish people were, were aware of this and were talking about it. So you managed to get into the house. Jesus is in a house and he's teaching. You managed to get in. And it's crowded. There are people all the way out the door. No one else can get in. It's, it's just spilling people everywhere. And the teachers of the law are there, and the Pharisees, and Jesus is teaching. And, and you've never seen anything like this in your tent. You're thinking, wow, this, this, is, this is crazy. This is unbelievable. But things are just getting started. Because when Jesus is teaching, you, you start to hear commotion on the roof. And then, and then there's, there's dirt falling from the roof, and, and nobody knows what's going on. And then you see light coming from the roof. People are taking apart the roof. You're wondering, what, what, is, what is going on here? And then you look around, you're trying to find the, the owner of the house. He's going to be upset. Who's going to pay for this? Who's going to fix this? And people are just confused, and they wonder what's going on. And then you see a man up near the ceiling, being lowered through the roof. He's on a mat. He's being held by ropes. He's right up there at the top. You're not even sure if they can keep him level. Maybe he's going to fall. So everyone's watching him, and he, and, but he makes it slowly. He's, he's lowered down to the ground in front of Jesus. And all you can think of is, wow, this, this person is desperate to come and see Jesus. And all eyes are focused on the man and Jesus. Clearly, the man can't walk. He's lying down. And you're thinking, okay, this is it. This is going to be one of the miracles I've heard about. Jesus is going to heal him. And, and everyone's looking at him. But he doesn't heal him. You're, you're close enough that you can actually hear what Jesus said. He said, your sins are forgiven. What, what, what did he say? What, he said his sins are forgiven. What, what, what does that mean? How, how can you do that? that? That doesn't even make sense. He, he's, he's forgiving the sins that this man committed against everyone, all these people. He doesn't know Jesus. There's no sin against Jesus. What, what's going on here? How is this possible? But the religious leaders are one step ahead of the other people. They're already thinking, okay, this does not look good. So only God can forgive that sin. It's blasphemy. Now, now, you may have noticed what Jesus said at first. He didn't actually say, I forgive you. He said, your sins are forgiven. So in the Old Testament, there's a prophet called Nathan, and he is the one who confronted King David after David had sinned 
with Bathsheba, and he had killed Uriah, uh, her husband, and he had taken her as his wife. He was confronted by this, and he confessed his sin. He said, yes, I, I have sinned. And Nathan told him, the Lord has taken away your sin. David would experience the effects of his sin, but he wouldn't die. But it wasn't Nathan who forgave. Nathan was just the messenger. He was a prophet. But here, Jesus is making it very clear that he's not just the messenger, because he says it's by his own authority that he forgives. He knew what they were thinking, the religious leaders, and he directly confronts them and says, this is by my, and in case there's any doubt what you think is going on here, by my authority that I forgive this man's sin. And then he proves it because he heals the man. Immediately the man <clears throat> got up. This, there was no struggle to heal the man. This wasn't difficult for Jesus. He spoke and it happened. So when Jesus forgave the man's sins. There were things happening on multiple levels here. First of all, what he's doing is he was telling everyone, and especially the religious leaders, who he was. He's saying he's not just a prophet. He does not simply speak the words of God that are given to him. In fact, he's also saying he's not even simply the Messiah. Because for the Jewish people, the Messiah was, was human. But if Jesus was human, it makes no sense for him to forgive the sins of this man that were committed against other people. C.S. Lewis says, you know, in, in this story, it's as if Jesus is acting as the main person who has been offended by all the sins of this man. Jesus is saying that he's God. He's saying he doesn't fit into any of the categories that the religious leaders or even the people have. In fact, Jesus does not fit into the categories that people put him in now, in our time. Categories like, oh, he's just a good moral teacher. You know, it was no accident that Jesus chose this moment to make this clear. The first time the authorities had arrived in Jerusalem. This is what started the ball rolling for Jesus to be killed, to be put to death. But this was no accident. Slip up here. There's no mistake. He knew exactly what he was doing. He could have just healed the man, but that wouldn't have revealed the complete truth about who Jesus was. The truth that he is God and he has authority to forgive sins. And that's why he came to this earth to forgive our sins, to take our sin upon himself when he died in the rise from the grave to conquer death and sin and to restore us to relationship with God. The relationship that we were made. That every single one of us was made. And the reason he can forgive is because he's God. You know, some some people um, occasionally, usually, usually people outside of the church, they'll, they'll look at Jesus saying, Oh, he's calling himself the Son of Man. So he's, he's saying, I, I'm not, I'm not God. I'm, I'm just human. But that's actually not what's going on here. 
calls himself the son of man is referring to a passage in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel had many visions that were given to him by God. And, and this one, I'll read this one for you. In chapter 7, he says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's not a human. That's not merely a human. And later, to make this very clear, later in chapter 21 of Luke, he, he, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man all throughout Luke and, and the other Gospels as well. But in chapter 21 of Luke, Jesus is talking about the last days. And he says, at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Sounds pretty similar to what I just read from Daniel. It's a direct reference to Daniel chapter 7. So as the Son of Man who is both human and God, and who will be head over the future kingdom and over all people and all nations. Jesus has authority to forgive sins. You know, C.S. Lewis had some insightful thoughts about Jesus' claim to be God. So if Jesus is not actually God, but he just claimed to be God, there are only two options. He either knew that it was false, which means not know that it was false. And if he did not know it was false, basically that means he's, he's got a major mental illness. He, he has a serious psychosis. C.S. Lewis said that if someone thinks they are God and they are not, I mean, they may as well be saying that they're a poached egg. Like, they're, they're just they're not in touch with reality. But when people read the gospel, even people who are not believers, when they read the Gospels, you don't get at all the sense that Jesus is in any way mentally insane. Just the opposite. You get the sense that he's the most stable person that maybe they've ever read about. And if Jesus was lying, if he knowingly deceived people about his character, how could he be considered a great moral teacher? Almost everyone considers him a great moral teacher. And you know, why would Jesus willingly give himself for us and die for us if he was deceiving us? Je Jesus cannot be a good moral teacher if he is only human. So he's either completely insane or he's a deceitful liar, but neither of those makes sense. The only other option is that he is So not only does he back that up by healing the man after forgiving his sins, you, you may have heard he also rose from the dead. He rose from the dead and he appeared to many people who gave their lives testifying to the fact that they saw him rise from the dead. So Jesus, when he forgives the man's sins, he's talking about his identity, but at the same time, he's also 
describing who the paralyzed man is. In fact, who, who we all are. He's telling us what our condition is, all of us. What the condition is of humankind. Because the first thing that Jesus does is not heal the man. He forgives his sin. Jesus is saying, I know what the root of your problem is. And I'm the only one who can deal with it. You think your problem is that you can't walk. But it, it goes far deeper than that. Not walking is just a symptom of a deeper problem. It's the result of rebellion of, from God. Rebellion against God. It's about alienation from God. Sin is the root of everything that is wrong in our world. Now, now, please understand, Jesus is not saying that this man committed some specific sin or is a worse sinner than anyone else, and that's why he was paralyzed. Later in Luke, in chapter 13, Jesus specifically says that things that happen, terrible things that happen to, to two groups of people, and, and they die, he says very clearly, they were not worse sinners than anyone else. And in the book of John, when, when there's a man born blind, and the disciples are asking, who, who sinned? Him or he? Did he sin or, or his parents? And Jesus says, no, neither. And the whole book of Job tells us that you cannot attribute suffering or pain to someone's sin. It's just far more complex than that. But, but sin is our ultimate problem. It is the root at everything that is wrong. And whether we are paralyzed or in perfect health, there is no wholeness when there is sin because we are alienated from God. And, and we all sin. We are all that paralyzed man. And so Jesus is saying he, he knows more what we need than, than we do. He knows that being able to walk again or whatever else that we think would, would fix our lives means nothing if our sins are not forgiven. Jesus doesn't want to give temporary relief for what's ailing us. He wants permanent healing and that is only possible when we are restored in our relationship with God. You know, if all Jesus had done was forgive this man's sins. That, that would have been enough. That's all the man truly needed. But Jesus did heal him. Because he was giving a picture to the people in the house right there at that moment and to all of us right now. Giving us a picture of what the future kingdom is going to be like. There will be complete freedom and wholeness. What Jesus was doing was showing that that sin binds us, it paralyzes us. Frederick Dale Bruner said that movement and freedom are hindered by sin. We are bound by sin. And this man getting up and walking is a picture of the freedom that we will have ultimately. The freedom that we will have when we have complete freedom in the kingdom that Jesus brings. When we are set free from sin. It's these two things, who Jesus is, which is wrapped up in, in everything that he did, and what our condition is. It's those two things 
that together make up the gospel. And this really is what Jesus is doing here. He's proclaiming the gospel, the good news that in him we are set free from bondage. And that salvation is through faith alone in him. Through faith alone. Luke says that it was because of their faith that Jesus proclaimed the man's sin for forgiveness. The man had not shown Jesus that he had done anything to deserve to be forgiven. He hadn't done good works. It's not evident in the story that he had tried to clean himself up or be a better person or anything. The forgiveness that Jesus gave was based on faith alone. As Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And even that is not yourselves. It's a gift of God. We are saved not by works, We are saved through faith. Excuse me. We are saved through faith and not by our works. We call this the doctrine of justification by faith. But we need to be clear here. Faith is not believing in justification by faith. We are not saved by believing a concept. We are saved by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, believing that we are saved or justified by faith alone and not works, that's a good thing. It's true. We, we need to believe that. But we can believe that without actually putting our trust in Jesus. The man and his friends, they had faith. They, they were acting recklessly and dangerously. They were damaging property. They were, they were acting way outside social norms. Why were they doing this? Because they were utterly convinced that Jesus was their only hope. Jesus was traveling from town to town. He wasn't staying in one place very long. This was their chance. They weren't going to let anything keep them from getting to Jesus. Faith is knowing that our hope is not in ourselves or in our circumstances or friends or family or anything else. It's knowing that God is our only hope. But it's not just knowing. We have to act on it. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So there, there are two elements here. Believing that God has for us everything that we need and coming to him. We have to come to God. If the man had said, yes, we believe Jesus is the only hope for our friend, but they had stayed home. They hadn't acted on it. They saw, saw it was a little packed. Okay, let's go home. Could you really say they believed Jesus was their only hope. If you have a chair, if, if a chair breaks and you get an expert carpenter to fix it, you show your faith that the chair has been fixed by sitting in it. And based on my carpentry skills, if I fix the chair, you show your wisdom by not sitting in it. 
And when God asked Abraham to leave his country and go to another another place, if Abraham had said, yes, Lord, I trust you, yes, I, I have faith in you, and he stayed where he was, would he have had faith? As Hebrews says, faith involves earnestly seeking God. It's not just belief. The demons believe. They know Jesus is God. But they don't seek him. They think they can get a better deal on their own. They'd rather have God not even in the picture. Faith is coming to God through Jesus Christ. Because we know that everything we are looking for, everything we need, everything we were made for, found in him alone. It's knowing and acting on the fact that we are rewarded when we seek him. We're rewarded not with a life of comfort and ease. We're not rewarded with every single thing we want. We are given what we need. We are given God himself. And we come to him trusting that we will that he has for us in his timing and in his ways. He is powerful. He can heal us right now, and he does that. But as Andrew has said in a, in, a, in a recent sermon, I think he might have said it last week, we won't have complete healing until, until the kingdom comes. That is when God will wipe away all the effects of sin. But we can trust God for healing. It's going to happen. If we are in Christ, it will happen. Either now, or later, or, or at the end times. We don't know how or when, but God will heal us if we are in Christ. He has the authority to do that. And the will to do that. You know, you might say, I, I, I don't think I have enough faith. None of us have enough faith. None of us are completely 100% faithful. Christ is the only one who acted completely faithfully for the Father his entire life. We are not saved by faith in our faith. We are saved by putting our faith in the fact that Jesus was faithful and righteous, and that if we identify with him in his death and resurrection, that God gives us Jesus' righteousness. So the people in the story, they, they weren't thinking right here. We have no physical crowds keeping us from getting to Jesus like those men did. But there are plenty of obstacles that Satan wants to put in our way. It can be anything. People, money, hobbies. It, it can be something simple. It doesn't even have to be something simple. 
anything that is hindering us. There may be things that no one else knows is hindering you from coming fully, completely, recklessly, joyfully. Maybe no one else knows. Submit that. There may be things that that we don't even know are hindering us from God. So I encourage you, go to God, pray, ask Him, ask Him to show us. We, we need to ask Him to show us. Lord, is there anything hindering us? Because if there's anything that hinders us from fully seeking, we we just we need we need to let God take that away. Some of you think you have no faith at all. Some of you are not even sure if God exists. But maybe you're just wondering if he does. And you know what? Even that small desire, that little spark, to even just find out if God exists, I believe that is also a gift from God. And I would encourage you to find out if Act on that small little spark. Ask God to reveal himself to you because God will reveal himself to you if you turn to the teacher. If you, if you would follow him, if he were real, he will reveal himself to you. You know, the passage ends with people being filled with awe and saying, we have seen remarkable things today. You know, the word for awe is actually translated fear by, by other translations by the NHB. And even in the NIV, it's translated as fear in, in other passages. In the, the same word in Luke chapter 1, he, when Zechariah saw the angel, he was gripped with fear. And in Mark, when the disciples saw Jesus calm the storm, it says that they were terrified. It's the same word, they were terrified. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves And in our passage, the display of power and authority that Jesus had caused people to fear. The paralyzed man got up immediately. There was no question. God's authority was final. It was right there in front of us. And it rightfully caused them to fear. I'm going to repeat something that Andrew Stewart spoke of about a month ago. God's authority is Some of us may have very negative associations with that word because people in our lives in authority have hurt us, have hurt other people that are close to us. But God uses his authority to stop the misuse of authority. He uses it to set things right and bring freedom for the oppressed. Jesus being God and having this authority is a
this point in our service, I want to invite those forward who are going to be serving communion as well as the worship team.